shadow of death. Your perfect love is casting out fear. Even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back. I know you are dear. I will fear no evil, for my God is Way. Why don't you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. Bring your tired, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know 
not your name. You will always be much more to me. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. That's all right. song it, it's we yell amen even though we don't speak hebrew or aramaic we we we, we scream that out we should be going yeehaw it just it just <laughs> actually whoever did that was really good when i say yeehaw i sound like a guy who grew up in california that was wow you should do that more 
Well, anyway, welcome to Carpenter's Way. Glad to have you here in the room. Glad to have you watching on the internet. If that is where you're watching, lots of people on vacation. Did you, did you guys, I, I mean, I know you grew up here, but this hurricane thing is kind of new to me still. And wasn't it amazing? Of course, it wasn't coming here this time, but I, I think I'm probably the only person who thought that it was really cool yesterday. I mean, the, the outer bands, wasn't it weird to have the, the clouds are actually going the wrong way, and then it would be really sunny and beautiful, and then the, the clouds would come through? Isn't it cool how God made all this? And I, I know it can be terrifying. We've been through all that, but uh, you know, it does a lot of cleaning. It's like a buzzard. It's an ugly bird, but it sure does clean up a mess, doesn't it? It kind of blows things away. But it is really cool to see our creator, God, our daddy, at work around us, and uh, I hope you take time to notice that, because what it cleaned up this time is all that heat. I mean, it is, it is really nice, so make sure you enjoy that, and, and uh, it's, it's wonderful. Well, good, again, good morning. If you are visiting with us at Carpenter's Way, welcome uh, to our family. Uh, now that you've been welcomed, you're part of it. Uh, we are right now in the middle of a study of all four of the Gospels. We're going chronologically through the life of Jesus Christ, uh, verse by verse, story by story, trying to put it in order to see if the context doesn't give us some insight as to who this man really was. Uh, we've all heard, if you grew up Assembly of God, they have an angle. If you grew up Baptist, they have an angle. If you grew up in a Bible church, everybody comes to them with an angle. We're trying to discipline ourselves to who does Jesus say he is. And man, this morning, uh, we're, we're embarking on three weeks of lessons on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to try to break it down over the next three weeks. And man, talking about Jesus identifying himself, if you were with us uh, la a couple weeks ago, after he heals the, uh, the, the guy at the pool of Bethesda, he then uses that as an opportunity to go into the temple area, and he, and he tells the religious leaders who he is. Well, the, the, um, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount uh, is Jesus identifying himself. What does it look like to be blessed of God? What, what does the person look like who's truly a follower? So anyway, I, I, I could preach the message right now, but I will not. I will show some self-control, and uh, but that's where we're going to be at this morning. If you brought Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 most of our time, so uh, we'll have a good time there, but we're glad you're with us. If you're watching from home or on the road, if you're traveling, um, we're, we're glad to have you there too, and we'll put the scripture on the screen and I'll read it, so don't stop your car or crash. So um, please open your worship guide. Stuff's going on. We have just finished four weeks of children and student camps. And uh, summer, summer amps up at Carpenter's Way with our student and children ministry, and we just finished four weeks of all of that. And it's been exciting. God has worked in the lives of our children and our students. And uh, now we begin amping, ramping up our, our international short-term mission trips. Uh, and you will notice uh, in the worship guide, uh, one of the inserts talks about Guatemala trip that takes place July 27th through August 4th. Uh, and they are going to begin collecting the things on that list. There's not a lot on that list. If you'd like to participate, we would ask you to do that, and we will put that uh, out in the, uh, an area out in the welcome area. You can drop it by Dolores' desk, and we will make sure they get it. Over recent weeks, we have been collecting for the Amazon team. And uh, Kevin, why don't you uh, make your way up here? He's going to be making an announcement. In the worship guide this week, you will notice the, uh, the names of those going uh, from our church as well as a team from Arkansas. The, Please be praying for them uh, as they prepare. And uh, Kevin's just going to, Kevin and Pam, Kevin is our chairman of our elder board, and uh, he and his wife Pam lead those trips. And uh, so he wanted to share a couple things with you about that and then some other ministries we're involved in in Brazil. So, Kevin? Good morning. Good morning. Bom dia. 
So I want to give you a little update on some of the things going on this summer with our church, both things that have happened and things that will be happening. And I wanted to start by Tupana Ehai. This is the word of God. It's in the language of the Satare Maue people. So we're going to the Amazon River in Brazil and attempting to bring the word of God to people who have never heard it. And that's what we're all about in Lufkin, Texas, where you work, where you live, your neighbor across the fence, or the person you, you work with and talk to on a regular basis, bringing the word of God to people who need it. We need it. We need to study it. We need to apply it to our lives. But there are people who've never read the word of God. These people have never had a Bible in their language, in their possession, for their entire life. When you ask them who Jesus is, they've never heard of him. So we're trying to go to a place that doesn't have the word of God, that doesn't have access to Bibles in their language, and to take Jesus in our heart and to teach them about that. So that's our Amazon trip that's coming up. We're leaving July the 26th. And uh, we encourage you, as you see in the list in your, Bible, in your uh, handout, to pray for the persons on that list, both members from the Lufkin area and also our partners in Arkansas that are going with us. We'll be going up there next weekend to help them have their packing party. You can see our lobby is very nice this morning. If you had been up here yesterday, it looked like a hoarder's nest. There was stuff everywhere, and that was packing, getting ready for the trip. So we encourage you to pray for us, to um, continue to encourage everyone going, and to continue to, to uh, be mindful of this trip and in our prayers. One of the things that's recently um, been involved in that is we're about to embark on adding a second water well to our planned trip. We already have plans for one. We've been working on a second one taking place, and we have someone who has um, asked that they be involved in supporting that, and they wanted to have that opened up to anyone else who wants to be involved. So if you're interested in being financially helpful of there being a second water well, please see me at the service, and we'll talk about what's going on with that. I want to remind everyone um, about the Venezuelan Refugee Project. That's going on in Brazil with our partners there as well. And we recently had a recommendation from our mission investment team that we extend our previous uh, commitment to that project. Um, and we have just wired the money for the next six months. So what's involved in doing that? In Brazil, they are having refugees out of Venezuela that is in terrible economic turmoil currently, and people are leaving the country in droves. A large number of those people are coming to Brazil, and our church partners there are trying to bring those people in to provide them for housing, to get them a job, and get them into the local culture. We are Carpenter's Way Baptist Church is involved in that project in supporting the housing there locally. And we actually hope to be able to visit and see and get a little more personal tour with that um, while we're on the mission trip because we're going to be in Manaus, the city this is taking place in. So we hope to bring you some more specific information when we get back from the Brazil trip. Also, as just was mentioned, the Guatemalan trip that's in your handout and information about what they need. Remember to be praying for that trip this summer. It'll be leaving on the 27th. So both those mission trips will be occurring concomitantly in different places. 
And uh, we're constantly at work in this body of believers in sending persons out to take the gospel to other locations, to go out into all the nations of the world, and to attempt to bring us all praising our Heavenly Father. So uh, thank you all for that support, and I uh, want to continue to be able to bring you new updates of new happenings as they occur. Please continue to be in prayer for all of us uh, as we work on these endeavors. Thank you, Kevin. So just, just to put it in some context, the, um, it was a long time ago when I just attended a church. Uh, so it's really important for me to remind you, we don't, these are not side activities that we do. Oh, that's our student ministry or that's our children. They're all central to what we do as a body of Christ. Uh, and these mission trips that we've got, these two that are upcoming, um, it's central. And, and, and even if, if, for those of us who are not going, we, we really are participants in that in our prayers. And many of us have supported individuals going. Um, I, I want to double back on what something Kevin said. We are actively, financially, as a church, if you give, you are actively financially participating in the assistance of refugees um, out of Venezuela. We sent, uh, this will be the second, um, Kevin said for six months. Six months ago, we sent $6,000 uh, to support, to help this church. And, and what they do is they house them, they feed them, and they disciple them. Uh, and they are coming in by the thousands. They're walking across the border from Venezuela into Brazil because you know what's going on in Venezuela. And it is, it is I, I want to say what I, I've shared with you. It is one thing to say build a wall. I understand that. We lock our doors at home at night. We still got to care for those in crisis. We, we still have to find a way to do that. That's, that's part of what Jesus did. That's what we do. And uh, this is a way we do that. Uh, and it's exciting because Kevin and a couple other people on that trip are going to actually go visit what we have been supporting. So this will be, uh, we just sent this last week $6,000, another $6,000. And, and I say that to say, if you, that, that's, how, that's why you give. That, that's why. It's not just for lights and electricity and air conditioning, which would be enough. <laughs> the, the air conditioning, that was a personal thing. But it, it, it's it, because we, we, we incorporate about 15% of the money that you give goes towards mission work. And that's on purpose. That's because it's part of what we do as a church. We support this. And uh, we're, super, we're super excited about that. I posted yesterday also, just to keep it, keep it knowledgeable, I want to keep it in front of you. But yesterday I posted on our church Facebook page uh, the Baptist men's ministry that are, are Baptist feeding units that are now on the border in Texas helping to feed uh, migrants who are on the border on both sides. And we participate with them. We, we don't only support individual missionaries, 14, I think, organizations and individuals. We don't only support our short-term people that go. We don't only support the ministry of Carpenter's Waste. We support... We, we send uh, probably fifty dollars or $60,000 a year to the ministries, mission organizations of the Southern Baptist Convention, which allows us to participate with other churches, and one of those things is this mission. So we got people on the border, and, uh, and, and I, I, know, I know I'm going to sound pastoral, but that, that's part of why you give. You give of your wealth, uh, and some of you can give more than others. We give not just to build bigger buildings. That is not where we're at. Although, ladies, the woman's bathroom is almost done. Yeah, you can actually drink coffee again. <laughs> so, uh, and I think this next week it'll be open or the following week. Guys, they will begin working on ours. So don't start drinking coffee just yet. But uh, anyway, so we're excited about that. Um, and that's all being paid for with cash. You know, we own all this. God has blessed us. We paid this off. That's all cash. 
And we're not going to start on the next wing, uh, the, the adult discipleship wing, which is next door, until we have the cash for that. Um, and the reason is, is because we want to send missionaries and we want to disciple. And, and it is easy to get caught up in making bigger buildings. And we can't even afford a big picture of Julie and I to put on the roof and face the, the drive over. We're, we're still, if you'd like to give for that instead of the wells, you just go ahead. I'm teasing. But that's, that's what we're about, you guys. That is what the elders pray over. That's what the, 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 the deacons make sure that we fund. That's what, that's what we want you to be a part uh, and that's why, and this is not for visitors, this is for Carpenter's Way folks, that's why you need to give. You need to be participating because part of our role is to support international missions and what God is doing globally. And I have been to Brazil and I am, Pam, plug your ears for a second, I am ramping up to go again. Um, don't start calling me this week. Um, but uh, my dad called a couple weeks ago and he'd like to go. It may be a year or two. But, uh, but we'd like, I'd like to go again. I'd like to take Julie. Uh, it's, it's incredible. You, you get in these boats and you go to people that may have had contact with the Catholic Church. Most have not, but they are like pictures you saw growing up from missionaries. It is incredible. And to support doctors and dentists going into people who don't see them and to, to play soccer with kids, which I'm a little older now, but I'm still really good. Um, it's incredible. So I want to throw one more thing out there. And I know I'm taking a lot of time this morning, uh, but the preacher can, can shorten up. But, and that is to say that as you listen to this and as you hear these reports, it may be time for you to go. Well, I can't afford it. You can two years from now. Take 25 or 50 bucks a month. I know that means less Starbucks. <laughs> but put some money away and go. Go. It will, it will change your life. It will change your life. And um, so that's all. Anything else, Pam or Kevin? Where are the overbees? Are they here this morning? Are they traveling? Or anything you guys want to add about Guatemala? Okay. If you have questions about Guatemala, please talk to the overbees. Are you guys going to put a sign or something? When are you done collecting, Kevin, for Brazil? Okay. So same place where we've been collecting for Brazil. You can now put uh, put Guatemala stuff. So the list is in there. And I know I know at times it's like, oh my goodness, are we ever going to stop collecting stuff? No. That's why God gives you wealth. I know some of you have more than others. You need to spend it. That's why you got it. Spend it on the kingdom. Spend it on kingdom work, and that's, that's what we do. And I know I don't talk about it that much, but that's probably not always good. We, this is what we do with our wealth. And, 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 and if you can go, go. If you can't support, if you, if you can't, you know, pray. Pray, pray, pray. This is really big. I'll tell you what. Talking about feeling the spiritual warfare, you feel it when you're there, don't you? And uh, so, okay, so that does it with that. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. If you're, as they come, I just want to say, if you're interested in helping with the wells, please talk directly to Kevin. Don't, don't put it through the offering today. He'll work with you on, on how you do that. Um, and uh, again, uh, giving, you need to be involved if you're part of Carpenter's Way, and that, uh, that supports all this stuff. It, it goes to that. So uh, let's commit our service to the Lord. Man, we're going to have a great time in the Word. I, I know that because I had a great time in study this week. So uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for how you are uh, working globally. And Lord, it is a tragedy when you watch the news to, to see refugees on our border, to see people in crisis who are just trying, Father, to better their families. Um, we get conflicted in our hearts politically, but you, if you listen to stories, we're talking about people going into Brazil right now who are doctors and lawyers 
and dentists, people that we expect as professionals wouldn't have to face this, but they are, they are running for their lives to protect their children themselves. We have never experienced that here. And I want to thank you for that. But I want to ask that our hearts would be softened for these people. I pray that we as people who vote, and most of us probably conservatively in this community, may our hearts not be so hard that we forget to love, to care, to be concerned, to actually do something to help people in crisis. I pray that we wouldn't be Americans more than we are world-concerned children of the King. Father, may we be more about your kingdom than our own, even while we try to take care of our kingdom. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you that we get to get in your word. Thank you uh, that Chad and his team are going to lead us in great songs of worship. We pray uh, in advance uh, for these teams going to Brazil and Guatemala that you would bless them, even as they prepare for Kevin and Panem as they go in, uh, up to uh, Arkansas and help that part of the team prepare. Lord, keep them safe. Keep our people safe, and, and may they be effective for the King of Kings as they're in Guatemala and Brazil. Um, we commit our time to you. We commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
yours is the power. Oh, yours is the glory. Forever, amen. Forever, amen. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever.
heart cries out, holy, oh God, you are worthy of all the glory, the honor and praise. Wow. You may be seated. You can clap. Uh, sometimes it's hard to see them, isn't it? Uh, thank you for refreshing me and reminding me. I forget. There you are. There you are. <laughs> I see you there. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. And I, I, I know uh, we, when we come to church in a culture that's very church-oriented, we, we, we know when to stand and sit and we know when to sing and we know what's expected and we take an offering and then the preacher gets up there and you know, I, I did marvels in my mouth, Julie. She says that when I try to fake a southern accent that I put marbles in my mouth. <laughs> it hurts my feelings. I think I have a very good southern accent. Um, we take we take the we, we take the position of a worshiper. We we kind of we kind of slide into uh, we kind of slide into roles, you know, in society. And so when we come to church, we, we we do God, and we we sit down and we hear verses that we hear a lot, and we don't we don't let them move us as much. It's because we've heard them so many times. I'm, I'm not I'm not dogging us. I, I'm in the same boat. Um, and and I think that's what I love about that song that Chad wrote. There you are. Oh yeah, that's right. This is real. That's right, you're still in the midst of this. I see you there, and, uh, and that's great. Well, this is one of those verses that I don't think we think enough about, and, and, and I think it was the problem with the Jews in, in, at the time in the study we're looking at. And so look at this with me. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. I want you to think on this simple statement in verse 3. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. I think, I think you know, not getting ahead of myself, I, I think we have to ask ourselves if that's true or not. Do we? <laughs> do we take on this spiritual life with human tools? Um, I think you could say that the church in general is guilty of that. We... We take on the business model of the world in order to grow our, our churches to create the product, and we never get to the product. We're so busy growing, and I think we do that in our Christian life as well, but more on that in a few moments because I think the Jews at Jesus' time wanted to go at the Romans like it was a national battle. This was supposed to be a holy nation, a people of God's choosing. The Hebrew people were supposed to be special, different, unique. The word holy means separate. No, we, we, we don't really think about the word holy when we sing that uh, or sing songs, holy, 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 or others. We, we, we think it, it's a religious word. Like if we were to survey what's holy mean, we go awesome, perfect, great, God. That might all be true, but it actually means, comes from the, the, the root word that we get sanctuary from. It's the same word. It's sanctified. It means set apart. God is different. There's no God like him. There's no king like him. There's no dad like him. And... and that means that we can go at life and, and, and the Jews were a holy nation. 
They weren't a perfect nation. They weren't a sinless nation. They were just a group of people that God had set apart, sanctified, sanctuaried, put them aside for something amazing. The world was supposed to see God fulfill His promises in supernatural, unbelievable ways so the world could look at them and go, who is your God? Evangelism by way of the Hebrew nation wasn't as much verbal as it was just people looking and seeing God. They were supposed to be reflections of God's power. They were a priesthood not by activity but by who they were, separate. Unfortunately, they went at life and their frustrations and nationalism with human weapons and human strategy. As I said already, I think the same could be made, a case could be made for the church today, trying to win what we see as our battles with human weapons of morality, politics, and rhetoric. If you have questions about that, just look at what Christians write on Facebook. Um, even if you're, you morally have a case to say it in a way that belittles and mocks, the, the, it, it goes against our, our, our claim that we value human life. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't put people down and mock them. He spoke truth. I posted yesterday, I thought it was interesting, I posted yesterday this, uh, the, the, this, this Baptist feeding units thing and somebody came back and said, you know, we should be feeding Americans instead. And, and it's fine, you can have that opinion, but it has nothing to do with God. And if you're watching this morning, I just want to make it clear. I know I'm not your shepherd, but I want to be clear. Your Facebook is full of Christianese things. You need to meet Jesus. If you're conservative, my friends, Jesus is too liberal for you. If you're liberal, Jesus is too conservative for you. He calls us to repentance. He calls us to love the unlovely. He calls us to love people. So we should let them walk all over us? Yeah. That's what Jesus did, right? Well, I, I don't want to let them walk all over us. Then don't claim to be following Jesus. Wage war with human weapons, but don't claim to be doing it God's way. That, th this is real, family. This is real. This is really, 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 really real. This whole thing, this thing we do, it's real. It's, it's not East Texan culture. It's, it's real. This is God. He's involving himself in our lives. He sent his son to tell us he loves us and, and that he wants, he wants us to be part of his plan. He invites us into his kingdom by adoption with Jesus. He makes us his kids. He invites us to participate with him. And we go, thank you for heaven. Now we'll see you when we get there. Just bless our efforts. That's waging war on human terms with human weapons. And there's, there's something in this that should convict us and, and move us to reevaluate what we do and what we say and why we do it and why we say it. And, and that's, that's what I've been thinking about all week. I am a political conservative and I amen people that do not look like Jesus all too often. However, I want to balance it and say that if you are liberal, there is no excuse for killing unborn children that Jesus Christ created in the image of himself. The truth is that the truth is not found in the Republican Party or the Democrat. It is found in Jesus Christ, and we should vote his values. And uh, that's what we do. Do not sell your soul to a party. That is fighting the weapon on human terms. You need to vote. We're not Quakers here. We, we fight wars. We, we submit to the governing authorities. We do that. We are proud of our young men and women who go into the military we had one go this week. 
but we, we understand that the real wars will not be won without Jesus Christ. There you are, God. Oh, I don't see him. He's taking too much time. It may be beyond us when he comes back. That's okay. We will win. We, we do win. You remember that, right? This will be over in 60 years. We will win. We have won. The battle has already been won. Well, I don't see it. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are, you know, you've seen. Blessed are those who haven't seen and still believe. Stake your ground in Jesus Christ. <laughs> stake, stake your hope in Him. Not in your church, not in your doctrinal point of view, not in your politics. Stake your ground in Jesus Christ. We find ourselves in the middle of this very familiar problem, cultural problem, where the people of God, the right-wing people of God, the Jews had staked God's plan in their own power and had forgotten that God wasn't here to fulfill their dreams. He was here to accomplish His own plans. And what was His plan? To seek and save the lost. That's what He was here to do, to seek and save the lost. To seek and save the lost. And even um, he, he had gone and spent about a year he had spent about a year with the religious Jewish leaders uh, explaining who he was and what he came to do. And when they finally understood it, when he finally convinced them that he meant what he said, that I came to seek and save the lost, uh, Gentile as well as Jew alike, rich and poor, clean and unclean, people you accept and people you reject, I'm here to minister to them, I'm going to touch them. I am, in fact, going to minister to people on the Sabbath, whether you like it or not. I did not come to lift up the Sabbath. I came to lift up my Father. When he convinces them that that's what he's going to do, they officially decide he's a blasphemer and they're going to kill him. That's their answer. Can you imagine that brazenness? Can you imagine discovering that Jesus is not who you thought he would be, and then deciding that you're going to put him to death because he's in your way. That's what the Jews do. And that's what we do when we say, I refuse to believe in a God who allows and fill in the blank. That's what you're doing. You're saying, I reject you now that I know who you are. I don't like who you are, so I'm going to do my own thing. And let's be real, we've all done it. Everybody but me, right? We've all done it. We've all taken moments in our life when we choose sin over God willfully, when we choose, choose self-righteousness or even self-pity over submission, that's what we're doing. We're saying, I don't like your plan, so I'm going to go with my plan. I like that feeling. I like the rush of being angry. I, I'm so tired of rainbows in the month of June, I'm going to post one thing to offend them all. In one foul swoop, I am going to be heard. And when your pastor says, you're not accomplishing much for the kingdom, I'm going to say to the pastor, I can't just stand by and say nothing, and I say, why? They're going to win. No, no, they're not. Unfortunately, they're going to lose, and you just made it less possible for them to hear about the love of God. In case you're not clear, God loves gay married people. His love is not enough to save them. They have to respond and repent. But if we alienate people that we don't like, that think different than us, or, 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 or don't understand sin and grace, we alienate the very reason we're here, ministry, and we fight battles that are human and fleshly with human tools instead of with God's tools. This is real. God is going to win. We, there is no chance of us losing. Do you, if you align yourself with this man, you can't lose. Isn't that crazy? Even if you're killed? Well, that's not winning. Oh, it's winning, my friends. No eye has seen and no ear has heard what awaits those who earnestly seek him. And in that vein, 
there was a problem because when Jesus left the Jewish religious leaders who felt a lot like we do, um, he walked away because they were going to kill him. His time for death was not here, and so he walks away from them. And he goes basically into hiding, but the crowds find out where he is. And so it says that they came by the droves, and we were talking about this the last couple of weeks. And what does he do? He ministers to them. He heals them. He, he basically starts over. He resets. He does for the, for the masses what he did for the Jewish religious leaders. He starts doing miracles. He starts healing people and meeting their needs. And they start following. And many, in fact, refer to him as their, as their, as their rabbi. This is going to take us to our text today, which is Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to jump, and Kevin, I know I've messed up my outline, but we'll see where the Lord takes us. It's like tongues this morning, wherever we end up, we'll be here. I, I'm, that was not a mock on tongues. If you know how practice goes before you get here at 730, you'd see tongues takes place every week, does it? No, sh that is not anything on chat, bless your heart. But, but it is uh, in Matthew chapter 5, one day Jesus... Uh, as he saw the crowds gathering, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. When a rabbi was about to teach something to his, to his flock, a flock was made up of people who were invited and people who just wanted to say, you're my teacher. And, and, a, and a Jewish rabbi was, which the word means teacher, was somebody that you wanted to learn how he thought, you wanted to learn his view a version of, of, of truth, especially Judaism, and you wanted to live like him. Your job as a disciple of that rabbi was to learn so much in the time you had that you became like him so that you could spread that individual rabbi's message far and wide. In other words, one rabbi would have disciples, and those disciples would disciple others, and those disciples would disciple others. That's the model. It's still the model, whether the church does it or not. It's still the model today. We pass down, we cascade truth. That's what we do as the children of the king. Having been called to his family, having understood, having been discipled, we discipled others. That's why here we focus on our small groups, we focus on our Bible studies, we spend time in the Word together because our job is to prepare you to prepare others. We're not preparing you so that your heads get bigger and you get huge information on Jesus. We want you to pour into others, your neighbors, your friends, people. You should be gathering a small group. Oh, I'm out of time. You have time, you're just going to have to turn off those TV shows. But your neighbors, your, we should be cascading spiritual growth all over the place. This is what's being modeled. And so I want to begin by saying that when he says disciples here, and how do I know this? Because of the rest of the story. This, the Sermon on the Mount, which is what this is called, I'm only going to get through the first part of it today, and all God's Bible studies leaders said, I'm still going to be long, so just relax. But um, I... Um, but the, the truth is that, uh, that, that this, this reference to disciples is not a reference to the 12. It's a reference to the hundreds. Uh, we, we concentrate on what we know, so we concentrate on the 12 apostles and the disciples. Please understand, and I mentioned this before, there were hundreds who considered them followers of Christ. There were thousands who were interested in Jesus. Of those thousands, some would say, I want to be his disciple, so I'm going to follow him. That's what made you a disciple. Of those, Jesus picked 12 in last week's text. He pulled them out. He pulled them out to teach them. Why? Because those 12 would pour into the hundreds who would pour into the thousands. But actually, of the hundreds, they're going to walk away. Just giving you a uh, heads up. They're going to walk away because his teaching is not what they wanted. Truth is, you're a disciple of Jesus if he's your rabbi, the one whose life and teaching you desire to learn from. This is what takes us to the study we're in right now. There has to come a point in our evangelical hearts 
that we decide to learn of Jesus not as our pastors presented or our favorite authors, but as he presents himself in the scriptures. Because I got to tell you something, it is diametrically opposed to much of what we think about Jesus. Jesus is not an American. He's just not. We can wish he was an American. We can wave him in the flag. We can give him a gun, a shot of whiskey, and an American flag, and we can paint that picture. But that ain't him. And I shared with you last week that if Jesus isn't a, isn't a Jewish Messiah, and, and I want to remind you that when the prophet faced Jesus and he said, are you on our side or our enemies? He said, neither. Or the angel of the Lord's armies, he's called. Neither. If God's not on the side of his chosen people, he's not on our side. The question isn't whether he's on our side. The question is whether we're on his, right? Am I on your side? Well, to be on his side, we've got to learn of him. And, and so this three-chapter study, we know a Sermon on the Mount that you've heard preached, is not actually a how-to to be a faithful Christian. It's actually a shot of cold water in the face of what it looks like to be a child of God, to be a kingdom heir, to be a man. And that's what the Jews were worried about. How do I inherit the kingdom of God? Once they were healed, once they got their stuff fixed, which Jesus did for them, he always pushed them. Okay, uh, one story in particular that I'll bring you out so you'll see it. Uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000 plus women and children. And the next morning, they come back to Jesus for more food. And he says, you know what? This is going to leave you hungry again. I actually want you to eat my uh, flesh and drink my blood. Remember that story? And it goes on to say that he explained to them what he was talking about. And it tells us that the crowds left that day. And when, he, when, um, when they tell the disciples why they're leaving, because the disciples are panicking and trying to keep him there, just like anybody would, they said his teaching is too hard. These disciples are only disciples like the Jewish leaders of Jesus as long as he does what they want him to do. Just, just let that soak in. That's kind of where we are as a church, not Carpenter's Way, but in general in this culture. Daryl Douglas had interaction with a pastor a few years ago who wrote him a letter and said, uh, on a particular political issue that he was rampant and wrong on, I may not be biblical on this, but I'll be darned if I'm going to let my, kid, my grandkids grow up in an immoral culture. What? I'll be darned if I'm going to, fill in the blank. How many messages have you heard on the rapture of Jesus Christ? And those of us who grew up in conservative churches were taught that. Not saying it's not true, I'm simply saying we've been taught that. But how many times has the application been, make sure you vote carefully, as if we can hold off God's return? You can laugh. The application, I thought that was God's, you know, that, that was the will of God. I thought that was, his return was a blessing. Well, you better vote carefully or you're going to stop him from doing what he's going to do. What? It's inconsistent. And it's, why is it inconsistent? Because much of our thought as Christians today is based upon our fear. God solved this. God solved that. God fixed this. God fixed that. Instead of God, I want to follow you. There you are. I'm going to follow you. Just don't drop me off a cliff. What if I want to drop you off a cliff? I don't want to be dropped off a cliff. I know. I didn't want to be dropped off a cliff. I actually prayed that my father would remove this cup from me. You see, we don't come to Jesus for what we can get no matter what you've been taught. We come to Jesus because he's God. We bow the knee to him because he's worthy. And yeah, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but that's the beginning of the relationship. Nobody wants to go to hell. But if you ask the average Christian today why they're saved, they'll say, so I don't go to hell. That was never the intention of God. The intention of God, according to Ephesians 1.5, was to adopt you into his family, to make you his kid. I know I haven't really done much with Matthew 5 yet, but I'm going to, and we're going to move quickly. <laughs> One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus thinks to himself, okay, Father, it's time. 
It's time to unfurl the flag. It's time to reveal the truth. It's time. So he went up on the mountainside and he sits down and the hundreds gather around him and he begins to teach. He begins to teach. Verse 3, this is what he says, Matthew 5, 3. God blesses those who are poor in spirit. I added that because that's what the Greek says, not poor. We live in a social justice era. I get it. Rights probably need to be made, whatever that means. We need to change things. We can't change the past, but we can understand how they affect our present and change the future. But you cannot let the modern culture dictate truth. Why is that important? Because your grandparents believe that blacks and whites should not worship together. They should not date interracial marriage. Why? Because that was culturally going on, and the church looked for biblical reasons to explain that. Be careful. My social justice friend, when it says God blesses those who are poor, he is not talking about money in wallets. A reading of the Greek is simple. Any theologian, any Greek person understands that. Anybody who understands the Greek, because it's poor in spirit, and realize their need for him. For, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I want you to picture now on this mountainside all these hundreds of people around Jesus who grew up, most of them, predominantly Jewish, and he's healed a lot of them, and they've decided to follow him, and so they expect him to be a rabbi in the sense that they've had every rabbi, arrogance and, and, and loudness and virility and hate for the unclean, resentment, and, and all legalism. There's an arrogance that came with these people. And instead, Jesus is about to say, and he starts it by saying, this is the man or woman that God blesses. Whoa, everybody wants to be blessed by God. There's not a person alive who doesn't want to be blessed by God. There are atheists who ask for Christians to pray for them when they get a diagnosis of, of cancer. And when you say, I thought you were an atheist, they say to me, well, it can't hurt. The, the fact is, we want blessings. And these Jews wanted blessings. These Jews who had been rejected by the religious leaders of their day who were, who were truly treated badly. And he starts by saying, this is the man or woman that God blesses. And let me tell you, that word blessed in this text is a weird Greek word. It doesn't make sense. I don't know why Jesus used that word. Actually, I'm going to tell you why he used it, but they didn't. They didn't understand because he's not talking about monetary blessings or a pat on the head or even a hug. What he's talking about is only a blessing that in this time was believed to be attained by a divine being. It's a blessing beyond human experience. It's an eternal blessing. It's divine blessings. It is a consistent blessing that exists as true is truth. It is there. You will be blessed. A person is, is blessed with divine joy if they are poor in spirit and realize their need for God. This, this word refers to inner satisfaction and sufficiency that's long-lasting, actually eternal life-lasting. This thing does not depend on outward experience or circumstances. Each of the people in the crowd that day wanted this. It's what everybody wants, to be eternally and consistently blessed by God, to just have peace in your heart at 3 o'clock in the morning. They must have leaned in to, uh, to clearly hear what it is that God blesses. Would it be a rabbi, a religious Jew? Would it be a person who's been to Jerusalem at least three times for Passover? Would it be somebody who's never broken the law? They would have expected all these things, but that's not what Jesus said. It had nothing to do with activity. Rather, it was an inward quality. It was a character. The person who is poor in spirit and realized their need for God. He or she is the one God blesses. And I don't have enough time to go off on this, but let me just tell you that God did not save you to keep you the way you are. 
He loves you because of His creation, but He wants to make you in the image of Himself. You are being taught today, we are being taught today regularly, even in evangelical circles, that that real satisfaction is found in self-acceptance, and it is not. That's the problem. The longer you look in the mirror, the longer your nose becomes. The bigger the zit gets. I'm 52. I'm in great shape until I look in the mirror after I get out of the shower. Things aren't what they appear. That's why I'm wearing these oversized blouses, as Steve Hicks calls them. You will not see this year a picture of Mark at the beach holding the sun with his shirt off. That would be devastating. It would just not be good. I would not be lifting up the sun or God. I would be going, whoa, you got, seriously. People would be sending me little bikini drips. It's just not good. And you are being told that God loves you as you are. I got news for you. He loves you because he has chosen to love you. Gay or straight, pretty or ugly, white or black, rich or poor, he has chosen by his divine, infinite wisdom, this is what makes him different. He loves you in ways your mama never could. He loves you. He loves you so much that in his divine economy, it is better to kill his son than to judge you. That's why he sent him. And it is only when we realize this that we experience the blessings of God. One of the evangelical concerns I have today is we keep telling people whose lives are, 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 are neck deep in sin and selfishness, that, that God loves them, and so that's all that matters. I got news for you. There's going to be a lot of people that God loves in hell. It is only when we realize our need for Him and cry out to Him, save me, I'm sorry, forgive me, please don't judge me for what I deserve. It is then that you are blessed by God with an eternal blessing. As you meet with people and you want to react to what the church has done to, to, to groups of people, do not love, forget to love them enough to tell them that you have to understand your need for Jesus. You need Jesus. Jesus is not an add-on to what we're doing in the church. He's the purpose for it. We, we don't, uh, we, we, we can, the, the scary thing to me is you can grow a church with, with great facilities and great programming. You can grow a church with rock walls even if Jesus isn't there. Did you think about that? What if we learn to do this stuff without Jesus? What if we learn to do the Christian life without Jesus? Well, it's no longer the Christian life. It's a religious life. That's what had happened here. These people thought that their, their spiritual needs were okay because they were Jewish. The problem was he wanted them to understand, first and foremost, that if you want to be blessed by God, you're going to have to understand your need for him. And, and you might be thinking, and they might be thinking, well, I know I need, that's why I'm a Jew, that's why I go to synagogue, that's why I'd like to be back in the temple area, that's why I wanted you to heal me. But this is what Paul would teach in Romans chapter 2 a little bit later. Verse 28, Jesus said, uh, Paul said this, for you are not a true Jew or a, or a child of God just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person who with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Just because you grew up in the, in, in the, in the Baptist church, or the Assemblies of God church, or the Lutheran, or the Catholic church, does not make you a child of God just because you were baptized. You know, if you were to ask the average Christian today how they know they're a child of God, they'll, they will, we, we do it, I do it, I'm part of the problem here, and, but I just want us to understand thinking here. But we will, we will check off a litany. Uh, I, I accepted Christ at VBS when I was seven. I have been going to church most of my life. 
Uh, I got married in the church. I was baptized at 15. I, I, I. And while all those things are good things, none of, you know what's missing, right? What's missing? What saves you, my friends? The work of God. We, now, look, I get it, okay, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get us to stop talking like that. I, I, that's part of culture. But I, I want you to know that Satan uses that to, to sweep under the rug the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life at the moment of salvation. We do, we, we, we would say, we would die, all of us in this room, we would die. With, you, you don't get your way to heaven by works. You don't, and yet, when somebody says, how do you know you're a child of God? What we do is we check off a list of works that we did. Pray to prayer, went to VBS, go to church, got married in the church, got to die in the church. Uh, grandfather was a Baptist pastor. None of those things are about the resurrection that makes you a child of God. None of that is about being born again. None of that is about being born from above. Well, how do you get saved? You let Jesus do his work. That's how you get saved. Does it start with a prayer? It can. It can start with baptism. It can start with walking an aisle. It can start with you just going, when you get into your kingdom, remember me. It, 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 it isn't what you say or, or how wet you are. It's what God does when you realize when you need him. It, it, the, the sinner's prayer is not, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, you're the Savior. Please accept me into your family. And it, That's really not how you're saved. It's when you say, I need you, whoever you are. It's the blind guy who's healed and taken before the council, and they say, so is he a demon-possessed man or is he God? He goes, I don't know who he is. All I know is I was blind, and now I see, and I'm going with him. What have you done for me? You see, you need God. And that's the guy who's blessed. That's the woman who's blessed. Not the woman who goes to church or, or has aligned herself with a Christian movement or a Jew. It's the man or woman who realizes that it's not how I was born and who I was born into and where. It's the man or woman who realizes I, I'm in trouble and I, I need the one I'm in trouble with to save me. I've got good news. He loves you so much he sent his only begotten son, so all you've got to do is believe in him and you'll have eternal life. Admit you're a sinner. Well, how do I do that? How do you want to do it? Talk to him. So you're saying baptism saves you? Nope, I'm not. I'm just saying that being baptized isn't a bad way to come to God either. Nor is walking an aisle or getting on your knees right here or actually in your heart right now saying, I get it. I'm trying to be your child by being a Baptist or an evangelical, and I need to be your child by allowing you to change me. Are you, are you following me? Do you get this? It's Jesus, not corporate things. It's personal. He transforms. And it matters. Because God blesses those who are, are, are poor in spirit or humble, the opposite of self-righteous, and realize their need for him. And what's the result? The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus wasn't done. In Matthew 5, 4, he said, God blesses those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. This is another reference to running to God. See, it's not just spiritual need and eternal life. Once your need is met by God spiritually, once you're a child of God, once you're redeemed, once you're adopted, life is hard. And you have choices to solve that. You can drink. You can commit adultery. You can be bitter. You can become a, a liberal who's mad at white people. You can become a conservative who's mad at everybody. You can be whatever. All of those things are options to you. But to those who run to God with their mourning, their heartache, their pain, they'll be comforted. Your problem with self-medicating, my friends, and you know this, is, is that medication eventually 
wears thin and you need more of it. Um, cigarettes do turn into more powerful drugs or they own you in a way you can't overcome. Uh, alcohol, you need more of it. Uh, adultery, pornography grows. It just grows. It just doesn't stay the same. It, it becomes unsatisfying. And then you will find a new way to satisfy. I, I, I am a big fan of AA, of Bill Wilson, who started his philosophy. And he used to say, and I've told you this before, in the big book, he talks a lot about there's nobody more miserable than a dry drunk. In other words, yes, you, we can get you to stop drinking, but if you don't replace it with joy, he talked about a relationship with God. It's now turned into a higher power. But if you don't replace that with something else, you'll just end up angry. That explains why most Baptist deacons are angry. They stopped drinking publicly, but they became bitter because they didn't replace it with the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There you are. It's not that my circumstances have changed. Oh, there you are. Now are you going to heal me? Maybe not. There you are. I see you, Jesus. I see you. I trust you. There you are. He is the solution, not your solution. Well, he can bring about my solution. I want my solutions too, but he's not about our solution. He's about his own. And when I mourn instead of, when I, and I run to him, I'll be comforted. Wow. Verse 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they're going to end up with everything. <laughs> this one had to really throw them off. How in the world does that work? If we don't stand up and speak for truth, who will? They'll just win. What is that, what is that phrase? Okay, and look, I know I'm stepping on a lot of conservative toes, and it's only because I know them, because I've lived most of my life really believing them, but you know, all, all tyranny needs... Uh, uh, to win is good people not to stand up. And I understand that politically, but that has nothing to do with spiritual truth. The truth is you are called to love and, and minister and offer hope and drive people to Jesus as they're interested, to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. God will have to sort them out in the end, just like the Marines say. God will have to sort them out. We have to trust him. We don't trust him. We're scared. I'm scared. What kind of world are my grandchildren if the Lord gives meaning? What kind of world are they going to grow up in? Well, I, I don't know. I just pray that they're not feeding Christians to lions at that point. Or if they do, I just pray that my grandchildren are faithful to God more than they're faithful to life. It's really that bad, you guys. We've pretended for 200 and some years that it isn't, but it is. It's that bad. You see, hope is always found in God. And, and we, we, we thought if we got enough of us together that we could be a, a majority of moral people who could inflict morality onto the world. It doesn't work that way. There is no such thing as a moral majority. Jesus didn't even approach it that way. When Satan offered him the kingdoms of the world at the temptation, he didn't say, you idiot, I own the world. He said, get behind me, get away from me. You're a liar. He quoted scripture. The truth is our win is not in this world, it's in the next. Amen? It really is. It really is. This is, not, this is not our only hope. This is our worst hope. This is, if you are a child of God this morning, this is the closest thing to hell you'll ever experience. Well, that explains my life. You're kind of depressing, Pastor. I'm not because it's not that bad. I loved watching the bands of wind. Of course, I'm not in Louisiana, but I loved watching the hurricane come through. I love the sense that I'm enjoying so much your vacation pictures. Keep posting them. Don't say, oh, the Republicans are trying to ruin this by ruining the oxygen. Just, just just pictures of, the, pictures of the beauty, pictures of the world. Just keep, keep telling us how life is good. 
I know it's rough. I know you're going to come home to work. It's always going to be that way, and God's going to fix that. We're going into retirement sometime in the near future. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. That'll be soon. But until then, let's work, man. Let's go home tired. Blessed are the humble for their inherit the whole earth. Verse 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice so they'll be satisfied. See, see, preacher, justice. There's only a problem with that. That's a really bad translation. I thought it only fair to put it up there in the New Living because I use the New Living most of the time. Let me be clear. The New Living has some weaknesses. Well, who are you to say? You're not a, you're not a super smart guy. I'm smarter than you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the truth is you have multiple translations that actually translate pretty good. And actually, the New International Version and most of the other versions of the Bible do a better job. Will you put the NIV up there? That's what it actually means. How cool is that? I asked Julie, I, I asked Julie and some other people this week, have you ever actually met somebody that hungered and thirsted for righteousness? I mean, I know people who hunger and thirst for uh, heaven, worship, uh, church, I know that. I, I know, I know I've, I've met people who do that. But have I ever really met somebody who hungered and thirsted for righteousness? And somebody said, yes, I have. But it's kind of rare. What happens to the man or woman who hungers and thirsts for righteousness? What's it say? That he's filled. He's not talking about righteous filling. That's a gift. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from wickedness. So we are all declared righteous, but do we hunger for it? Do you hate your sin more than you hate than you love pleasure of it. Again, I'm not going to lie to you. Sin offers some short, temporary satisfaction. It's just not the eternal safety net that we think it is. It goes away. You know that. Every one of you knows that. But for a moment, it's satisfied. And, and the sooner we stop lying to ourselves about that, the better. The truth is, we wouldn't be a fat culture if food didn't satisfy at some level. If vegetables were actually, and, and by the way, I just, I, I get a chance here to, to, to rabbit trail. Brussels sprouts are nasty even if cooked in bacon. <laughs> and, making, and making pizza dough out of cauliflower, it's still cauliflower. And you vegans, you can do whatever you want with tofu, it still stinks. It's bad. It's not good. Unless you put enough soy sauce on it that your blood pressure goes up, it's nasty stuff. The truth is, the stuff that kills us always tastes better. Now, you've never tasted my tuna loaf yet. Oh, please. Please. I would rather not eat an Oreo than eat a fake Oreo. I, I just, it's just, you know what I'm saying. And the truth is, that, that we kind of we come together and we talk about God and thank God for grace, but he, beyond that, after grace is expelled to us, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? And, and I want to say this, for those of you who are indulging in your flesh, seriously, I'm not asking you to tell me this. I want you to think about this in your heart. How's that working for you? I know the answer to that. It's not. It will temporarily, but eventually it will blow up. It, 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 there's never been a case where it hasn't. Go sit with a homeless guy who's result of drug addiction. Ask him if they, you know, when you were 15, and you're only 17, so this is a bad turn, did you plan to be here? 
What were your goals in life, son? I wanted to be living under this bridge. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I got news for you. There's actually something that's more dangerous than living under a bridge homeless because of drugs, and that's being in the church thinking you're okay and being an alcoholic. It doesn't satisfy. This, take it for what it's worth, but God is, Jesus is saying to this crowd that, that were angry at, at Romans and even the Jewish religious leaders that wanted to overtake him, that are following Jesus because they think he's a revolutionary. He's the answer to every one of their fleshly dreams. But they're about, and even they can make the case from Scripture, there's only one problem. Jesus wants them, us and them to understand that this is a spiritual war that can't be won with human weapons. And Satan's best work is done when we actually sanctify human weapons and think it's God's tools. How dangerous is that? Jesus is painting a picture for them. Wait until we get into next week's text when he starts talking to the crowd. Because some in the crowd didn't leave and sat there and they're like, yeah, amen, way to go, Jesus, love the message. And he starts preaching on lust. You say you've never committed adultery? I've never committed adultery. Good for you, Pastor Mark. Have you ever lusted? That in my kingdom is called adultery. I just want you to know that I've never lusted, however many of you have. You understand, Jesus is going to up the ante. Why? Because he wants them to come to the end of this lesson and go, well, who can be saved? Glad you asked. Glad you asked. You sang a song this morning that Chad, Jesus wrote it, Chad put it to music. It's the Lord's Prayer. And it says, forgive us as we have forgiven others. I don't know about you, but if I'm praying, okay, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus is in front of us and he's teaching us. Close your eyes because we all know that Jesus taught us to close our eyes and bow our heads. And seven of you went like that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And, and he said, okay, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yes, Jesus, I can pray like that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, I prayed that. And he gets to the part where it's, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. I don't like that one. I think he prayed that so that we'd go, tap, tap, tap. What? That one right there. How serious, how serious were you about that one? Because that one, I, I, I... See, Jesus is constantly, if you want to understand this, Jesus is constantly pushing us beyond ourselves. He's pushing us to the place where we're comfortable, and then he pushes us over the edge of that cliff. Why? So that we can go, well, who can do this? And he goes, I'm glad you asked. I can. Well, I want to help you, says Eve in the Garden of Eden. Says Cain to his brother Abel. Says you and I, good evangelicals, we're going to help God. So he begins this whole message by laying out what it looks like, the character, the quality, the, the inward character of the man or woman who is actually blessed and redeemed and kingdom heirs. Look at verse 7. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Sounds like the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? So I won't be shown mercy if I don't? I'm going to leave you and God to discuss that. He goes on. I'm just going to read the rest of these. Verse, verse 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. And all my liberal friends said, you wouldn't dare say amen right now, because you'll be labeled. It, it says what it says. If we were to take the last week of social media posts, would you be a peace worker? 
God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let's just ignore that one. Verse 11, uh uh-oh, he's going to double down. God blesses when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. He doesn't say take arms. He doesn't say fight back. He says you're blessed. I don't feel blessed. We're not talking about human blessing. We're talking about an eternal peace that comes when you are God's kid. Verse 12 is not a nice verse. It's not even fair. And I would like to say that I don't think this should be in the Bible. And that must have been exactly what these people who are sitting around Jesus are thinking. Be happy about it? So because I'm a disciple of Jesus and the Jews want to kill you, they're going to find out that I'm a follower of you and they're going to persecute me. You're telling me not to fight back but to actually be happy about it? Thank you for asking. You should be very glad. (laughs) That's the verse, okay? I looked it up in the Greek because I wanted to erase it. It actually says be exuberant. Yeah! How was your week? Fantastic! People are mocking me now. Yeah! Best Christian life ever. This is my, I'm going to live my best life. How's that? By being put to death for Jesus Christ. In case you're noticing now, this is nothing we decide to do. This is what happens when you seek after God, and He sends His Holy Spirit, and He transforms you. Uh, Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. The lesson goes on for two and a half more chapters and their minds are being blown and they're going to be blown more. Um, and why is that? Because 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says that we are human but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. And our flesh tells us that that doesn't work. It takes too long. I never see that happen. Well, God is working in terms of eternity, not in terms of your lifetime. Do we still trust God? Do we believe in God? I don't have time uh, because I'm coming to the end here, but I would love to have read you Galatians chapter 5, which talks about the fruit of the flesh, the life of a man who's living in the flesh versus the life of a man or woman who's living in the spirit. And you know the characteristics of it. They're almost identical. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering. These are qualities that happen when God is your focus, not the world, not the lost, not the church, not the growth, but God. And I struggle with this. I am not yelling at you. I'm yelling at myself. I can't believe that I've been doing this for 33 years. I've been saved since I was six weeks old. Just kidding. I I, I cannot believe that after all these years, I'm 52 years old. I've been in church since I was 55 because my mom took me to church. I cannot believe that I still haven't figured this out. It's all God. Okay, it's all God plus some work. What what work do you want to do? It's being led by the Spirit. It's seeking God earnestly. It's seeking righteousness more than self-pleasure. It's deciding that God is better than me. It's deciding that I will follow Jesus. Actually, let me put it in words you've heard. If anybody wants to be my follower, they're going to deny their own selfish desires, pick up their cross and follow me. Yes, who said that? It was Jesus. He wasn't masking this. He wasn't faking it. He said all along, give this up and follow me. Well, what if I don't like where you're going? Oh, you're not going to necessarily like where I'm going, but you will find peace. You will find hope, and it will carry you into eternity, my child. Well, what if it doesn't? That's why we hold on to sin, my brothers and sisters, because we're hedging our bets, as they say. Holding on to a little bit just in case this Jesus thing doesn't bring us enough pleasure. He won't. It'll be difficult. That's why we're instructed all over the place to trust Him and and find joy in it. I'm about done. Jeremiah, verse... 
chapter 17, verse 5 through 8. You think not only is Jesus com consistent in his ministry, I want to tell you that God has been consistent with this message all along. Jeremiah 17, verse 5, this is what the Lord said. Curses are the, cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from God. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in a barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. Boy, does that describe a lot of people we know today? But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that grow, reach deep into the water. Such trees aren't bothered by heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Please notice that it doesn't say that droughts don't come or the dry seasons aren't difficult or the heat isn't overbearing. He just says if your roots are deeply rooted in God, you will maintain peace. That is the Jesus of the Bible. And this is lesson one of three on the Sermon on the Mount. This is the, this is the happy part. If you want to be his disciple, my encouragement is not for you to memorize the Beatitudes. My encouragement is you pray to have them. Surrender control of your life to Him. Even if that means giving up the flesh you're feeding. Especially if it means giving up the pleasure you're feeding. Give it up. You will only find what you're looking for in Him. And by the way, would you please teach this to your children and your grandchildren? Because they believe based upon the lifestyle of us that hope is found in wealth and cool churches and great programming. That is not where it's found. And if you want the next generation to know God in a way this generation does not, raise them to be seekers of righteousness in God and not seekers of good churches. Because there's no such thing as a good or bad church. There's just the church. And you're it. Lord Jesus, tough stuff. But I guess when we started this series, I expected it to prick my heart because I knew that the Jesus of the Bible was not the Jesus that I wished him to be, any more than the Jews did. They decided to kill you because you weren't satisfied. I choose to follow. And I pray that my wife and my children and my brother and my sister and their families and my church family here will follow you too. More, may we want you more then we want our pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Because Kevin Hudson went so long this morning during announcement time, we're a few minutes late. I'm just kidding. Kevin, if you'll be up here, if you want to talk to him, uh, God bless you. Bible study is going to start in about six minutes.